Well, thank you. Come and, and be here at Hoover with you. I really appreciate that. And um, it has been quite a reunion. We enjoy getting to come down and see everybody so very much. And um, love this congregation. Uh, known about you for so long and appreciate uh, all the good that this congregation has been a part of. And, and uh, several who have come through Tide for Christ uh, from this congregation. And uh, that we got to enjoy being with and getting to know through the years. And so... Uh, really great to be here. There's just uh, so many folks. I see so many familiar faces. It's great to just to get to be be here with you and be reacquainted with you. Um, <clears throat> when they, t- I, I like bring your your favorite sermon. Also, it usually ends up being whatever sermon I was working on when I got the phone call. And so that's what you've got. And I'm going to talk to you about patience, about immense patience, even. And so uh, I've got a question for you. Which way? Um, from where you're sitting, I've got, I'm cheating. Which way is true north from where you're sitting right now? Go ahead and point. Which way, which way do you think is true north? Is there anybody point that way? Not sh- I like that one. Most of, you're going that way? Is that a point with a pen? Huh? That way? Everybody's kind of looking around, seeing everybody. Okay, so we're going this way. We got one going that way? Yeah, okay. All right. So we got a few different opinions of which way might be true north. Most of you definitely were, were right according to the iPhone. Um, <clears throat> I think it's important to know which way north is, right? You want to know uh, where you're at, and it helps you to be able to know uh, where you're going if you know where you're at. And I would suggest that it's even more important, especially for Christians, for us to know spiritual t- true North. And my suggestion tonight as we go through some scriptures is to consider that true north for the Christian, spiritual true north, would be a life that is lived like Jesus Christ. A life that is, is lived growing closer to Him every day. A life that, that shows the fruit of the Spirit as a compass to help you get more like Jesus. And the more like Jesus you become, I think the, the better your fix on spiritual true north. So as we seek to be more like Christ, we'll take on his mission. His mission was to seek and to save the lost. And so as we become more like him, that becomes our mission also. And like I said before, I think the fruit of the Spirit really helps us to understand and to be able to see true north in our lives as we follow Christ and to become the people that he called us to be. If you'd like, look in Galatians chapter 5 at the fruit of the Spirit. There in verse 22, it says, The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says these are the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God has come to you, when the Spirit of God has been revealed to you through His Word and guiding you as you read His Word, He says, this is what's going to happen in your life. These are the things that you're going to become known by because of his presence in your life. Did you notice that patience is listed there as a fruit of the Spirit? Notice it's listed as a fruit of the Spirit because it's at odds with our nature. It's not something that we have naturally, is it? It's it's something that must be developed in us, and it's something that God will operate and give to us as we grow in His truth. As we become more like Christ, we will gain patience, and it's something that we desperately need. Even though we're not wired for patience, it's something that we must learn. Your patience would open so many doors, 
It would open so many hearts into the opportunity for you and for me to speak to them about Jesus. So as we go through uh, this passage in 1 Timothy, will be our main text. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Holy Spirit, through Paul, says, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of His great patience, even with the worst sinners. And then others will realize that they too can believe in Him and receive eternal life. You see, it's because of His immense patience that others can realize the worth of knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we are able to display patience because of the operation of the Spirit in our lives, then others are going to take notice. They're going to realize there's something different about this person why aren't they blowing their horn at me even though I'm trying to get out of the way? Why aren't they uh, getting upset even though I'm, I'm not doing a good job? How come they're so calm and how come they are so patient is a question that people will ask about Christians who have been developing the fruit of the Spirit of patience. So I just want to examine this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1 just a little bit deeper and hopefully help each one of us to, to recognize how patience is so important to us, the patience we receive, but also the patience that we would give. Do you notice what Paul said? He said that he is a prime example. That he's a prime example and we know that in Romans 3.23, it tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He says, he's a prime example, but we are too, aren't we? Because we've fallen short. We recognize the glory of God. We recognize the truth of God. We see in his word clearly what his expectations are, and yet we still fall short daily. So here's the question. Now, no pointing, but who's the worst sinner you know? Who's the worst sinner you... I said no pointing. The worst sinner that you personally know? That's a tough question, isn't it? Don't say it out loud. Oh, no elbowing. Um, the worst sinner you actually know. There's a blog that I like to read. It's by a guy named Tim Challies. And he wrote this. Who do you know better than anyone else? Whose heart is laid before you in its entirety so that you cannot escape the evil bubbling just beneath the surface? and the far greater evil buried deep within. When I stop and think about the worst sinner I know, I really have no choice but to admit that it is me. I am the greatest sinner that I know. I'm the greatest sinner I know. I may not sin as much as the guy next door, but I see only a few of his evil deeds. So he cannot be the worst sinner I know. But I see every single one of my sins all day long in everything I do, in every word I say, I see my own propensity towards evil. I know how my heart grumbles when it should be glad, and I know how it's glad when it should cry out. I see how I can walk away from the poor, I can walk away from those who are lonely, those who are destitute, and rarely think of them again. I know how I continually do the very things I least want to do, and least should do, all the while avoiding those things that I most want to do. 
I'm the worst sinner I know. I think we all could probably, if we look deep into our heart, agree with this guy and with Paul. And I think that that's part of the reason why Paul said that this is worthy to be accepted by all. To own our sin. To recognize our need for a Savior. To recognize how lost we really are so that we can then see how glorious what He's done for us really is. And until we realize who we are and what we are and what we've become because of the sin that has tripped us up in our life, how are we ever going to see how wonderful and how beautiful Jesus truly is? We could say along with Paul in Romans chapter 7 and verse 14, the trouble's not with the law, for it is spiritual and it's good. The trouble is with me. For I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin that's living in me doing it. Verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it all the time. But if I do what I don't want to do, here I am, proving that the law is true. I don't want to serve sin. I want to serve God. Verse 21, he says, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me? Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? You see, the greatest sinner requires the greatest Savior. The greatest Savior. And I am the greatest sinner I know. And thankfully, because of God's grace, I also know the greatest Savior. The greatest Savior, who is Christ, who the Holy Spirit identifies through Paul here in Romans chapter 7 and verse 25. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that always leads to death. He says, thank God. Thank God Jesus Christ has given Himself in my place. Thank God that Jesus Christ has become for me and done for me what I could never do for myself. Here's Jesus. It says that He has taken on Himself all of our condemnation. Not some of your condemnation. Not a percentage of your condemnation. He's taken all all of your condemnation upon himself so that you could live in him the life that he's called you to live in righteousness, the life that he's called you to live pointing towards spiritual true north, serving others, seeking and saving those who are lost, expressing the fruit of the Spirit in your life every day. This is the prime example that God is making with your life, that God is making to, to someone who you have influence on. You might not even notice that they're watching you at work or at school. But they are. And you're his prime example. You're his prime example for that precious soul who he loves, who he wants returned to him, who he desires that they would not perish, but that they would come to repentance. And it's your example that he has given to them 
that might guide them closer to him. Yeah, you're a prime example. And you must learn to be a prime example of God's immense patience. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 it says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to repent. He's calling everyone, and he's calling them through your life and through my life as we live every day among those who desperately need a Savior. In verse 15, he says, And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. And this is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God had given him. He says, listen, he's a prime example. I'm a prime example. You're a prime example. We all have a, a, a responsibility to live out the example before this world that will help them understand and come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now let me challenge you with something. I want to ask you to make a clockwise circle with your foot. All right? So you're going to just kind of pick. It's easy. You're sitting down. Just pick up your foot. Start making a clockwise circle with your foot. And then in the air, I'd like for you to draw a number six. <laughs> it's a little hard, isn't it? It's a, little bit, it's a little bit different. We're not wired that way, are we? We're not wired in such a way uh, that we can accomplish some things. And patience is one of those things, isn't it? Patience is one of those things that when we're thinking one thing, we do something else. Even though we desire and we have a goal and we think this is what I'm going to do, it's not what we actually do. Sounds like Paul again, doesn't it, in Romans 7. You see, we're not wired for patience, but we can display patience with people. We can learn patience, and we want to be patient because we hope to point people back to Jesus, don't we? In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, Even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too lived apart from that law so I could bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Everything? What about us? Are, are we not called to do everything as we share in the good news? As we share the good news with others? The fact that they too can be saved? The fact that, that even though we need patience from God in order to, to bring us to a right place, we recognize they also need patience. Not only from God, but from us. As we're patient with them, as we call them towards their Savior, as we help them uh, to see his immense love for them and his desire that they would be with him for all eternity. I, I want to show you this uh, ball. It's a 16-inch softball. It's called a clincher ball. Has anybody ever played with a clincher ball in here? 
Sometimes there's a coach or two that might have played with one. These balls were invented uh, back during the Great Depression. The idea was so that uh, uh, no one had to have a baseball glove because nobody could afford a baseball glove back then. And so they started making the balls a lot bigger. It's very hard to hit a home run with a ball like this. And it's very easy to catch this ball even after it's come right off the bat. It stings a little bit, but you can do it. I think it's a pretty cool ball. And I want to illustrate the idea of your opportunities to serve God and to express patience in this world like a game of catch. All right, I'm throwing this ball to you. Hey, look at him. <clears throat> you see, God, he is playing catch with us. Your father is playing catch with you every day. Every day you have the opportunity. Ready, Chuck? All right. Every day you have this opportunity coming right at you. You might not expect it. Are you ready? You can do it. All right. <laughs> you got this opportunity coming right at you. And your father is tossing you the ball so that you can be his example to someone else. So that you can practice immense patience with someone. So that you can share the joy of the Spirit with someone else. So, so that you can somehow be kind to someone who's in desperate need. You see, he's giving you this opportunity. And all you've got to do is catch the ball. All you've got to do is react to what you've already been given. Because he's shown you kindness. He's shown you patience. He's shown you his goodness. And so now you have the opportunity to return that to someone else. To give exactly what you've been given to someone else. So that they then can see the Savior working in your life. This is being weak with those who are weak. This is uh, living a certain way with some because they live that way. So that you can guide them from that direction into Christ. Because they desperately need to know spiritual true north. They're floundering around and they're wondering. But they see your life. And they see you taking God up on his opportunities as he tosses them your way. You see, we're talking about a father with immense patience. Not all of us experience life with that kind of father. But your heavenly father is patient. And what does a good father do when you drop that ball? What's a good father do when you mess up and... And the opportunity just passes right by. A good father steps closer. God comes near. He gets closer to you to help you with your next opportunity. He doesn't stop giving you opportunities. He doesn't stop throwing the ball to you. He doesn't stop because he expects you to become his prime example for someone who you have influence on. Has God come near to you? I know he has. He's come closer to you in your times of struggle. He's come closer to you in your time of failure. He's come closer to you when you've fallen on your knees and you said, please, God, forgive me. I can't believe I did that again. He comes closer. He comes closer to you even in your failures. He comes closer to you to lift you back up because this is a father with immense patience. In Psalm 86, and verse 15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And in Romans chapter 2, and verse 4, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It says, You can choose your master. 
You can choose to be enslaved by sin. You can choose to live in this world even though Christ has given himself for you. Even though Christ has taken your place, you can choose to live a life that does not glorify him as God, that does not recognize him as Lord. Even though he has done what needed to be done in order to ensure your salvation. You can walk away because it's your choice. Because he's not a God who creates robots. He's a God of love. And love demands an object. You're the object of God's love. And he wants you to decide to love him back. But he wants you to also now go and offer that opportunity to everyone who you know. To anyone who you have influence on. To anyone who you can express immense patience to through your life so that they can see God's immense patience in your own life. See, he's been immensely patient with us, so we must be immensely patient with others. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, it says, Brothers and sisters, we urge, you to, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, to encourage those who are timid, to take tender care of those who are weak, and to be patient with everyone. He might just be talking about one person. There might be one person in your life who you need to warn, and then you need to encourage them because they've been warned and they're they're worried now. They're upset. They realize that they've been wrong. They're convicted. And so you need to step in and give them encouragement. And as you are giving them encouragement, you need to take care of them because they're weak. And you need to point to true north for them towards Jesus and guide them in that direction by living the fruit of the Spirit before them. And be patient with them because they're going to mess up again because they're just like you and me. They're sinful. It goes against their nature. But it's something that we can learn as we grow closer to Jesus and become more like him. You see, if following Jesus doesn't lead you and me to hurting people, to lonely people, to people that we must be patient with, then we're probably not really following Jesus, are we? Who are the kind of people that Jesus spent time with? Who are the people who, who he called as disciples and apostles? People who needed patience. Who are in this room? People who need patience. What a wonderful opportunity each of us have to live out the immense patience that we've been given from Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4, 2, he says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. He says, you give each other the benefit of the doubt. You, you help each other with your faults because of your love. Because you love one another, you're going to warn each other. You're going to encourage one another. You're going to take care of each other, and you're going to be patient with each other all the time. Why? So that they too can believe. So that they too can believe in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 16 where we started at. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience even with the worst sinners. And then others will realize that they too can believe in him and have eternal life. What a realization. What a realization to come to to recognize the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means to me personally the death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel of Christ, as it's taught to us in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, his death, burial, and resurrection that, that brings me into the family of God, that covers me in the precious sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ, that cleanses me of my sin, and that guides me then true north towards my Savior. 
You see, this isn't just about each of us learning to demonstrate immense patience with others. It's about allowing them to know how God has had immense patience with us. Have you ever read through some of the heroes of the Bible? When you read about their stories, do you cringe? I do, because some of them, they made some terrible mistakes, didn't they? They did some terrible things, but God still used them somehow. And guess what? You're in a room of imperfect people, every one of us. Every one of us who've messed up in the past. Every one of us who have fallen. Every one of us who will still get tripped up by sin even tonight and tomorrow, the next day and the next. But we have a glorious Savior because of His love for us that He lifts us up and He continues to have patience with us as we ask for forgiveness, as we humble ourselves before Him and say, please, Lord, forgive me. Please, Lord, help me stay on the right path. Help me to do what I should as I hope and as I've thought that I should because I've learned from your word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 7, Paul explains to us about his struggle. He says that he, he begged God three times that he would take this struggle out of his life. But God told him, he said, no. My grace is all you need. My, my grace is sufficient for you, right? He says, my power works best in weakness. What? My power works best in weakness. And so while we might show up, uh, up at a church building in our best, you know, and, and try to look the part and try to behave while we're here, or, or maybe we behave really well at camp, you know, at church camp, you know, we, we do pretty good there. But when Monday comes around and we're back on the football field maybe at school or when we're back at the job or we're back in some place that is comfortable and easy, we slip right back into an old way of life, back to that enslavement of sin where we don't recognize or live out what Christ has called us to. If we allow that to happen, then we're not going to live out true north. We're not going to live the fruit of the Spirit and we're not going to be able to guide anyone so that they see how God has had immense patience with us. But if we're real, we can go into those same situations where we've messed up in the past and we can say a word, can't we? We can say a word for the Lord. And what that word is, is I'm sorry. I'm sorry to whoever I've wronged, to, to whoever, however I've done wrong and however I've misled others. And I can go to them, I can say, listen, you know how I was? I don't want to be that way anymore. I don't want to continue to do those things. There's a great story about a, a, a fellow who lived a long time ago, Augustine. And he had uh, formerly lived in a life of sin like so many. And that life of sin was, uh, was being tempted by, by the lust of the flesh, by many things. And one day he was walking down the street and one of his uh, old acquaintances saw him. And she, she wanted to be with him again. And she came over and she said, hey, did you, you, let's, let's, let's go. I, I want you to come with me. And he said... No, ma'am, no. He turned around and walked the other way. She, she thought, well, maybe he doesn't recognize me. And she said, Augustine, it's me. And his answer was, oh, I, I know it's you, but it's not me. It's not me anymore. He said he had given his life to Christ. So there wasn't, there wasn't an ability in his life to continue in sin. The sin had to die. The sin had to stop. The sin had to come to an end that Christ might be seen in his life so that she too could believe. So that she too could see that God had had patience with him and now he could have patience with her and that he could save even her if he could save Augustine. He can save you 
And he can even save that worst sinner that you might know. He can save us all because he's just that wonderful and he's just that powerful. You see, you'll help others to see his immense patience and the fact that he can save them also. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And that endurance, that patience, that, that waiting, that strength of character to stand up and do what is right, even in the midst of turmoil, in, even in the midst of temptation, it points others to true north. It points others towards Jesus. In verse 12, he says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So yeah, y'all are right. True north. It's that way. Do you need help with your compass? Do you need help with, with your compass? You need to talk to someone in this room. Maybe someone who you've noticed that God's had immense patience with. Maybe someone who you've noticed God's been tossing opportunities their way. Well, here's your opportunity. Tell them. Tell them that you've seen the strength in their life tonight. Tell them what you've seen about them. Maybe just text them. I know that might be a little bit more comfortable. Text them and say, listen, I think you've been a prime example to me. And I want to thank you for living out the life of Christ before me by expressing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Do you need your father to step a little closer tonight? It might be that you can pray right where you're at. And ask the Lord to, to give you strength. To ask the Lord to help you as you make things right with those who you need to make things right with. <clears throat> but I want to encourage you. Bring in another Christian. Bring in a, a fellow struggler. Bring in someone else who knows the pain that you've felt, who will help you be accountable, and who will lovingly, as Christ would, guide you towards true north, Jesus Christ. Tonight, uh, I want to offer a prayer up for us. I want to encourage you. Don't let a lesson go by where you don't take action, where you don't make a change, where you don't send a text or encouragement or go and talk to someone. Maybe it's just a hug that needs to be given when you get home. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your immense patience. Thank you for giving us the opportunities that you've given to us. Father, please forgive us for the times when we've dropped the ball, when we haven't seen through and been able to, to express your love, your joy, your goodness and your kindness, your patience, your self-control, Father. God, help us to be the love that you've called us to be because of the love that you've given to us. We pray, Father, that you would go with us tonight. Help us to have the strength of character to speak up, to say things that need to be said, and to make sure that you continue to lead our lives rather than us somehow leaving you behind. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be good examples to those who see us, and that you would help us to express your love every opportunity we get. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.